morning, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you're having a beautiful start to your Friday. This is Robin, episode number 132 of Shut Up and Grind. So today we're going to be talking about hearing loss and how to properly treat. But first, before we get there, we're going to talk about me. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of of others, like outside of the gym setting and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again. And all that stuff, I was like, you know what? Like, I want to be able to take this even bigger. If you know why you do what you do, you have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life, and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. You've got to know your work. All right, so before we get into the main topic, I want to give just a quick quick little message about authenticity. So I know I did a full video on this maybe about two months ago, but as I work with more and more people and crafting their personal stories, they're always worried about how they're going to be perceived. They're worried about what should I say or how should I say it? It's like, just be you. Just be you. The way you speak, speak the way you speak. You know, dress the way you dress. That, that's why I'm on these shows in a tank top. I'm not, not about that shirt, shirt and tie life. For the people that are, do that. Be that person. You know, and whatever you do, just do it with passion. Like, I've shown up to business events dressed with my gym T-shirt on. And by the time that event is over, everyone's coming to me asking me for my, for my business cards. So, like, what you're wearing, it really, really doesn't matter unless you go into a, a black tie event where it's specified. But I show up as me. No matter where it is, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what the presentation is for, I show up as me and I deliver the goods every single time. Not to where one person was like, that would have been great, you know, if you didn't have a T-shirt on. So it's all about bringing the fire and bringing the fire the way that you know how to bring that fire. And so once the second you try to be somebody else, the the people who are truly authentic, they're going to see right through it and you're going to lose your credibility from not being who you are. All right. So... With that being said, we're going to talk about hearing loss, how to treat hearing loss. And when people are in specific specific divisions within medicine, I like to get the backstory into how they chose that one. And so, you know, not to be funny, but I had to have a colonoscopy. And I I actually asked the doctor, you know, it's like, how did you choose this line of medicine? Just because I wanted to know, you know, and I guess his father and, and his grandfather ended up dying of colon cancer. So he... He uh, dedicated his life to studying that part of medicine. But it just fascinates me the reasons why people choose the different divisions in medicine. So to have this discussion, I'm bringing in Dr. Mark Sims, who is the hearing loss doctor. How you doing, sir? I'm great. How are you today? Doing great. Thank you. So you told me backstage you're joining us from Phoenix. I am. I am. So is it true that you can fry an egg on the sidewalk out there? You can on some days. It's going to be 111 today. So um, if you That's put it, your, huh? yeah, just 111. It's the sun's hot. So if you have a black car, you can, yes, it can get hot enough that you can. Wow. We would die here at 111. We would absolutely die. It gets 90 with the humidity and we're like done. It's like yeah, right yeah. on the fall already. Oh boy. So are you from there originally? No, I'm, I actually grew up in Philadelphia. So I'm okay. from the uh, Northeast and uh, I've been many places. My residency training took me to Honolulu, Hawaii. And then oh, my nice. ear training took me to Los Angeles and then uh, ended up uh, here. So I've been here over 20 years. Okay. So where's your favorite place? In terms of which? 
Just in, in general, just like. Uh, well, we, uh, you know, uh, my wife and I spent uh, our early marriage in uh, Hawaii um, and uh, we have friends there. I would say that's definitely uh, top place uh, in terms of it because we have a personal connection and it's a, frankly, a really magnificently beautiful place. Yes, it's on my list to go check. I was actually supposed to go last year, but uh, Miss Rona there had had other plans for that. Sure. <laughs> All right, so so let's let's uh, get to, to know you. So, how would you describe yourself? Who is Mark? Uh, you know, I think probably first and foremost, I'm a, a husband and a father. Uh, I'm happily married to a wonderful wife, and I have three kids. Uh, they're currently 19, 17, and 14. So that's where uh, I think my energies and my concerns and my uh, success is uh, seen the most. Uh, I'm also, you know, a member of an extended family that I'm proud to be and a, a good friend. Professionally, I'm a um, what's called a neurotologist, which is a subsection of an otolaryngologist, which are all like tongue twisters from my perspective. So the, the way I, I uh, tell people is I'm an ear, nose and throat doctor, but I just do the E of ENT. So I only take care of uh, ears. And so, um, you know, I see patients with uh, complex uh, ear problems and hearing loss and things like that. And, uh, and frankly, I have a great job. I love what I do. I really enjoy going to work every day and it's incredibly satisfying. So I feel very blessed. Awesome. Great, great answer. All right. So you said you were born and raised in Philly? I was, yes. Okay. And uh, how, how did you like living there? I, I left. Uh, so I went to, I grew up there, uh, finished high school, went away to college to Boston for four years, and then came back for medical school. I still have some very dear friends there. I enjoy um, uh, uh, visiting there. I uh, remain a, a Philadelphia sports team fan more than a uh, Arizona sports team fan. So uh, I still uh, celebrate those roots. I have some family still there. Um, I, I enjoy the city very much and uh, I'm happy to have been from there. But did you run the Rocky Stairs? I have, yes, very much so. I, I've, I've done, I've been to the top of the, the art museum steps and uh, done, done, done the thing. In fact, uh, I was the editor of my medical school yearbook and there's a picture of me in uh, scrubs at the, with a mask so, and hat so they don't know who it is at the top of the steps uh, doing the Rocky pose. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. So how would you describe your childhood? I had a happy childhood, a busy, I'm one of six. I'm the youngest of six kids. Uh, you know, grew up in a house where we never locked the door. Uh, there were kids uh, in and out. Um, I understand why my parents had a basement because that was where they could send the bedlam so they could get some semblance of uh, a peace in the house by having everybody uh, go into the basement and uh, I grew up probably something that people almost think is uh, crazy where I didn't have my own room. Uh, you know, I had a brother or sib with me uh, most of my uh, childhood. And actually, in some ways, I saw that as an incredible positive. So Yes. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's like I'm smiling because uh, our childhoods are actually pretty pa parallel. Like I'm, I'm the youngest of seven. And same thing, like I didn't get my own room, I think till I was 14, I want to say. <laughs> so, my my um, kids can't understand that there was one bathroom for yes. six kids. They're like, yes. really? There was only, yeah, yeah, there was one. So you better kind of figure it out. And brevity helped. <laughs> yeah, that was us too. One bathroom. <laughs> we had one bathroom in the woods. <laughs> so you, you can hold it, go in the woods. <laughs> too funny. All right. So what, what was your first like childhood dream for your career? You know, uh, I mean, as a background, my father was a physician. He was an internist. So I grew up, my mother was a nurse. So I grew up in a medical mm -hmm. family. Um, I, I didn't really think about those types of things. I mean, I was kind of just enjoying being a kid. I always loved learning. Uh, so I loved whatever I was kind of studying. I didn't see myself as being focused. I just kind of, you know, I guess in a lot of ways, I saw myself more like a car with the headlights. I could only see so far ahead and I enjoyed whatever was there and didn't worry. I, I didn't really think or worry much about. I, I was pretty convinced, you know, frankly, whatever I would do, I'd be successful at if I decided I wanted to work hard and dedicate myself to it. So that, that was kind of, I didn't have some aspiration that I want to be X. It, it, that's not how I kind of, it's just kind of, well, I'm in high school. I want to do well in high school. And when I'm at the end of high school, I'll figure out well, what's next. Gotcha. All right. So how was your relationship with, with your siblings? Uh, you know, varied. I mean, I have, uh, there's an 11 year uh, span. Um, so, uh, you know, there are probably typical birth order issues, um, <laughs> you know, so uh, probably closer to my older two and the one right above me than the middles. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of that had to, you know, when you think about it, you know, 
my kids again can't really comprehend this, but you know, my I was uh, seven or eight when my sister left for college, right? And so it was just so different that you know she was essentially on her way into her young adult life when I was still you know just starting grade school essentially. And so a lot of it also depended on them kind of being my older siblings being maybe in uh, initially my younger years a, a, a surrogate parent type of role yeah. rather than uh, a peer and then you know my middle two were kind of they were just teenagers and I was the annoying little brother and then the, the one right above me uh, I was the annoying little brother but because we're contemporaries we've grown closer especially in our adult years. Gotcha yeah yeah very very similar similar dynamic I think that's 15 years between between the seven of us so same same thing and i have five five of my own and my oldest two definitely helped with the younger three when yeah. they were when they were a lot smaller yeah. so they, yeah they, they definitely got that role even if it's just grab a diaper or help me with yeah. uh, you know feed them or you know those little things and you know yeah. i think that's actually a wonderful part of a family right it, it, yes. it makes you realize that there's more than just yourself to take care of that you're helping to take care of others and yeah. I, I think that's a good thing to learn yeah, and, and, and it's good to help to give them pa some parenting skills so when the sure. time when the time comes, because as you, you know, I mean, well, I don't want to speak for you, but I know when I became a father, I had a lot of practice from my nieces and nephews. Yeah, well, I, I, I did a lot of that, learned how to change the diapers, learned what swaddling men and all this other stuff. Yeah, I, I became an uncle at 12. And so yes. I was taking care of a newborn at 12. That's true. But I, I will tell you, despite that practice, I still was very fearful as an initial parent. Yes. Uh, I, even when I see new parents now in practice, I say, look, nobody's going to tell you this, but despite your best efforts, you can't kill them. Like they, 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 <laughs> that's what everybody thinks, right? Like I'm going to yeah. kill this thing, right? And I would say, don't worry. No matter how hard you try, they're pretty resilient, despite yes. our own your incompetence. So, <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> that's what I thought to myself. Like, why did anybody give me this responsibility to take care of these kids? So yeah. preparing is, to me, uh, a wonderful job and uh, a lot harder than my profession, frankly. Yeah, ab absolutely. And just like you said, you know, when you saw my my opening, my opening video, that, that's the first thing I listed, too. It's like, you know, father, that's fir first and foremost to make sure the, these kids have the mental tools that they need to deal with the rigors of life. Right. You know, so like there's nothing more important that you can do. Yeah. No, I want, I want my children to be good citizens and productive adults and uh, responsible and loving people and happy. Right. And I think having all those tools are really important to getting those things out of life. So agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So the, describe, describe your college years. Uh, my college years were fun. Uh, I probably would say they were, uh, they swung between um, intense academic endeavors and intense fun. <laughs> uh, probably, uh, probably not a balance, uh, either a lot of one or a lot of the other. Um, you know, um, you know, I just took, I, I pursued a pretty rigorous uh, academic pursuits in college and uh, hadn't decided to go to medical school till my junior year, but wanted to maintain that option. So I was kind of pursuing a path where that was open to me. So that kind of required uh, academic diligence. So I would say it was uh, in academically intense and fun intense and met great, great, wonderful people. Awesome. All right. So did you know early on what what type of medicine you wanted to go into? No, so I mean the other uh, contextual thing to understand is is uh, so it's one girl and five boys, and so I'm the youngest uh, boy and the youngest of the whole family, and uh, my eldest brother is a physician as well, and so he actually does exactly what I do in San Antonio, Texas. So it I'd be hard pressed to not say that that mentorship uh, didn't have a profound influence on me. I would say when I was looking around uh, both to become a physician and what to go into, I really looked around and looked at people who enjoyed what they did and were happy. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to model that. So uh, probably the two things I looked at was being a teacher or uh, being a physician because I, uh, you know, I, I was considering a career in academia and they both seemed like very happy, you know, enjoyed their life. And so I chose to uh, be a physician because I thought I could have a more immediate day-to-day -day impact on people. So, but yes, the mentorship of my brother had a lot to do with it as well. Okay. All right. So now you, you finished college and like, what, what did you do right, right when you graduated? Yeah, and so I, you know, that's actually, it's an interesting thing, you know, from a parenting point of view, I, I graduated uh, college. I was newly turned 21. I went right to medical school and I was finished medical school at 25. Uh, 
Um, so actually, as a as a, uh, a parenting thing, it's not terrible. Uh, my both my wife and I actually both went to college at seventeen, uh, but we've actually chosen to do it a little bit different for our kids and kind of slow it down. Uh, you know, uh, my son's starting his freshman year of college and he is newly turned nineteen, and uh, you know my whole thing I say to people is what's the rush now what I would tell you is maybe there was a rush on my parents part because they had I was the youngest of six and maybe they were ready to be done with that aspect of life so I, yeah. I think that played more into it than it than it does for me at this stage of my life yeah it's it's funny I'll just share a quick story my, my oldest son he, he and I went for a hike up in New Hampshire yesterday and uh we drove with one of my fitness clients and so he was just talking about the different parenting style from when he was little versus with my, my youngest two are twins. They're they're 12 now. And so he, he's like, you know, Benjamin said something to you the other day that like I would have got killed for. Right. <laughs> and, and I was like, see, but I got you when I was young and vibrant and, <laughs> you know, and so I, I got that. I was like, you, we fast forward now. It's been two decades <laughs> of saying brush your teeth. Do right. you have deodorant on? boy, those shoes don't match. It's like, oh my God, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm just at a different level of parenting now. We're like, I'm, I'm ready for you all to be adults. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, yeah, the, the, the belts and suspenders is losing its novelty, making sure <laughs> that they just are doing the basic stuff. Right? <laughs> yeah, so true. All right, so take, take me through how you became the hearing doctor. Well, so, you know, the initial training I did for ears um, was at a place in Los Angeles called the House Ear Institute or House Ear Clinic, and it's a world-renowned place for ear disease. And so when I initially went there, um, you know, I learned about the medical treatment of ear problems and the surgical treatment of ear problems. But, you know, frankly, most young physicians and people in surgical fields like I am, we want to be busy surgeons. And so um, that's what I wanted to do. I came to Phoenix and through various uh, ways of kind of figuring out how to get patients referred to me, I became extremely busy uh, early in my career and remained actually with a very robust spry practice. Um, so interestingly, I would treat people and I'd say, look, you know, um, you need to go and get some hearing aids to treat your hearing loss. And, you know, I'd write it down in the chart as we're all obligated to do. And then a good percentage of them would come back and they say, I say, well, hey, remember we talked a year ago and said you should get hearing aids. And uh, they'd say, well, I did. I tried three places and, and none of it worked. And so that actually started to pique my interest in terms of why is hearing loss so hard to treat and why is it important? And, you know, if, if the goal of, the, of my intervention is to get people to hearing normally, if the surgery can only take them part way, well, you know, in my opinion, I have an obligation to take them all of the way. Let's we lost the audio there for a second. No, can't hear you. The joys of the live stream. So he, he was on the roll there talking about the hearing loss. Still no. Un unmute yourself. I don't think I pressed yeah. it. I mute myself, but there we go. <laughs> so anyway, um, these people would come with poorly treated hearing loss, and uh, I was trying to dig in deeper as to why that was. I mean, some of them didn't want to treat it, which was uh, an interesting phenomenon in of itself. And uh, you know, I'd had a brother uh, who had hearing loss, and and actually, it was only in hindsight was I able to really realize how profoundly it affected him. He had had a brain tumor when he was a teenager. He got. Uh, brain radiation. And that led to a deterioration of his hearing in his 20s, 30s and 40s. And, you know, to be frank with you, I just thought he was a difficult middle brother. But in mm -hmm. hindsight, um, it wasn't that it was really how the hearing loss was affecting him and how he was becoming socially disconnected and wasn't able to interact and how that became frustrating to him in hindsight. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, at the time I was thought I was doing the best I could. And I just had a difficult brother as I contextualize our relationship. Now it's, it's, it's just a totally different perspective that that hearing loss had to do it. And so there are a lot of different levers that lead to what I would call poorly treated hearing loss. So the, the statistics are dire. Um, 80% or of the hundred percent of hundred people who could treat their hearing loss, only 20 treat them. So 80% don't treat them. Of those 20 people who treat hearing loss, about eight of them are treated well. 
So of 100 people with hearing loss, only eight have well-treated hearing loss. So there's plenty of upside and plenty of work to be done to get people to be treated well. And there's a lot of reasons in terms of the social stigma of hearing loss, lack of understanding, and poor care. There's really poor care out there in terms of how people go about getting their hearing loss treated. And that's really what I learned by talking to patients. It's great, you know. Um, when you look at business practices, people say, well, you know, you really need to get to know your customer and talk to them. The beauty for me is, is uh, I, you know, they're a patient, not a customer, but it's just different terminology. Yeah. But I'm really talking to them all the time. I'm hearing from them. I mean, that is really what I do. A lot of other people who maybe sell, you know, widgets, they don't get to <laughs> get to the deep side of people's um emotional side and everything, but I'm doing that work every day. And it, it just, it's a fascinating topic to me as to why people do or don't treat their hearing loss, how they can or can't treat it. And I'm really passionate about changing the way this is done. That's why I'm here with you. Yes, absolutely. So what are some of those, the adverse side effects of not treating Hearing loss. So I, I think there's probably two. Um, the one that people really understand is the social side of things that, you know, your relationships are less robust. Uh, you're not as connected. I tell people hearing loss is like baseball, but harder. So what do I mean by that? In baseball, three strikes, right? In hearing loss, two strikes. So we all probably know somebody has hearing loss. So you say something to them, they say what? And then you say it again and they say, huh? And then you say, forget it. You give them two strikes, right? And then they're out, right? And so that particular moment isn't a problem, but it's death by a thousand paper cuts, right? Every single time that happens, you get less and less connected. From a person with hearing loss perspective, or as us having perhaps parents who have hearing loss, what do you start thinking? Uh, you know, dad's kind of losing it. He's he, he's not as connected. Maybe, maybe he's not with it as much. So it really threatens your independence, right? If you want to be independent, you've got to demonstrate to the people around you that you're connected, you're together, you understand, you're with it. So that's kind of the social side. You know, um, we all know probably a spouse who's frustrated with another spouse with hearing loss and doesn't get it treated. So that's that side. Uh, kind of the more emerging or uh, medical side is, is untreated hearing loss is associated with a higher incidence of memory problems and dementia. Um, and that has to do with like the concept of cognitive load. So when people get hearing loss, they don't just throw up their hands and say, hey, I, I can't hear people. What they do is, is they compensate for it. And the two ways you compensate for it, one is with speech reading. So that's looking at people's face, mouth, and lips, because you can tell the difference between wife and wipe by looking at my lips. And then the second one is context. So the example I go is I went to the ATM to get money as compared to I went to the ATM to get honey. You know, it's the first, not the second, because mm -hmm. contextually you don't get honey out of an ATM. So yeah. people are doing this processing all the time to figure out what people are saying. And so out of that, you know, you're using your brain energy to do that and that compromises other cognition. So, um, the Lancet, I know it, it's kind of like the New England Journal of Medicine for Europe. It's a very premier journal. They did a whole thing on how do you prevent dementia? And they talked about modifiable and non-modifiable factors. So the first thing is they said, look, 60% of your risk of dementia, you can't change. It's just, it is what it is. The other 40% that you can change, they started weighting different things. So early educate, better education as a child has about a six to 7% weight. Uh, stopping smoking has about a 2% weight. Uh, controlling diabetes, 2%. Exercise, 1%. Treating your hearing loss, 9%. It is the most modifiable thing you can do to prevent dementia and memory problems is to well treat your hearing loss. So the problem becomes 80% don't treat it, of the ones that do, two thirds of them aren't well treated. So those people are even at risk because they think they've treated their hearing loss, but they haven't treated it well. So, so what do you think, or what are you hearing are the causes why people don't get it treated? I think there's two from a patient approach. Um, people think that they need to get hearing aids rather than their hearing loss treated. So they think you need to get the object called a hearing aid and put it in your ear. That's what I call getting hearing aids. And I tell people, if you're going to do that, go to the same place where you buy meat, trash bags and toilet paper and pick up a flat screen TV on the way out. I mean, that's not how you get your hearing loss treated. The way you get your hearing loss treated is going and entrusting and finding somebody who's highly competent, who is on top of their game to help you get the right technology that's got the right prescription and the right adjustments and explain to you why you need to do it. So we all know home trades, right? So if you want to build a brick wall in your backyard, 
we can all dump bricks and mortar in our backyard from Lowe's or Home Depot. But we all know in the end, the quality of that brick wall is directly related to the mason, right? And so you don't go get a brick wall, you hire a mason to build you a brick wall. You don't go and get hearing aids. You go and find an excellent hearing care provider to help you treat your hearing loss well. Yeah, like, again, on the on the drive yesterday, we were talking about bucket list items sure. and skydiving came up. I was like, you said, I would love to skydive. And I was like, I see one on Groupon all the time, but I don't think I want the skydiver instructor that's on Groupon. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know? yeah. I was like, I think that's something I want to pay full price for. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a high risk uh, behavior that, or uh, activity that you want to make sure that there's a high level of competence, right? Yes. I, 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 I have a colleague who's got, they always tip the packer, right? The guy who packs your shoe. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, it's pretty important. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so what, why did you, fo- focus on just the ears and not the N in the T? Is it because of directly what happened with, with your brother? Uh, I think there's a lot of things. So when you start breaking it down, you know, it becomes an area that's fascinating. Uh, there's a lot that has to, so the patient population can be. We're not again, sorry. Let's see, can I? What's going on there? Sorry. There we go. Moving in. Um, my, my practice goes from newborn babies uh, all the way to people. I mean, I saw a 102-year-old the other day. So wow. I love that about ears. Um, and, uh, you know, people really don't get one of the things. I do a podcast, too, just to let you know. And, and I talk to medical leaders. And one of the questions I ask, which I can ask of you, is what's your favorite sound? Right? And people mm-hmm. call different answers. You know, somebody talked about um, the roar of a Porsche 911. Right. That, that was their favorite sound. Well, imagine a life without that. And so to me, when you talk about communication, hearing is essential. I mean, a lot of people would say they would rather be blind than deaf. I, I, I get color. But the reality is, is blind people can interact with each other. Deaf people can't. Hearing loss prevents connections. And to me, connections are so important. It's really what it's about. Right. It's about interacting and communicating. So I it's just to me, it's a it's an incredible. And you know what? It's it can be mastered. Right. There, there's a small enough area and uh, there's a need. There's a huge need for people in my field. So I, I think all of those things. Again, you know, I looked around. There were people who did this. It's called otology or neurotology. And by and large, the guys who did it uh, as I was going through uh, my training in a profession, they're all happy. They were nice, enjoyable, pleasant, personable. I was like, yeah, you know, this is my tribe. I, I like this tribe. I want to be part of it. So I, I think a lot of it has to do with that, right? Finding people that you identify with who you can aspirationally want to be like. Yeah, see, when my, well, with my oldest son, it, it was easy with, for, to pick his college because he has a fascination with cars. So he, he wanted to be a mechanic. So he, he went, went to school, graduated. He's a mechanic. So we didn't have to do much much working with him. With my daughter, she's, she, she just turned 19, but she took your, your route with college. She's going, she's going um, starting her junior year. And we reverse, we re, uh, reverse engineered hers. You know, start, like write down all the things that make you happy. Now write down who you would like to work with. Like, why do you want to work with those people? And yeah. now, now let's pick a field that can make those two happen. And so she ended up picking kinesiology. It's like she wants, she grew up without her biological mom. And so she wants to work with young girls who grew up without the biological mom. Oh, that's and, great. She, and she wants to use fitness as because like I tell I, I tell people like I don't say I'm a personal trainer I say I'm a I'm a personal development coach yeah and I I just use fitness as the platform you know to help people transform their their sure. mind and their, their way of thinking you know so I totally totally get what what you're saying there you know like you have to be around the people that you want to be around because like so many people are stuck in jobs that they can't stand you know but like you did it the way that which is why I'm it boggles my mind that it's not taught to be done this way. <laughs> you know? Well, I, I think, you know, you know, looking at my children sound of like your children, you know, the concept I think that they all struggle with is, is pluripotentiality, meaning you can do a lot of things. Right. And yeah. so that, that all, too much choice is almost a struggle. Right. I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, I took my when it existed, Toys R Us existed. Oh, yeah. And I took my son. I said, hey, you know, you can go in here and you can pick 
anything, you know, within reason that you would like. He was overwhelmed by the choices, right? Having too yes. many choices was a problem. In the end, he picked a packet of the Green Army soldiers, which was a pretty good bargain for me. But uh, the point being is, is when you are overwhelmed by choices, it's, it's you know, I'm not trying to pick on them, but I don't like care for Cheesecake Factory because it's got, a, besides the portions being too large, it's got like a 37 page menu. It's yes. like it's too much for me. I would yes. rather give me like your top eight entrees, top eight, and let me pick from that. I like too many choices. And I think kids, that's one of their things. Like there are too many choices and, and it's hard, it's hard. And so same for me. I mean, there's a lot of things I could do. I'm lucky enough that I'm passionate and really enjoy what I've chosen to do. There is always regret, right? I'm sure for you too, there are other things that are interesting to you. I mean, I think that's probably why you're now doing podcasts, right? So it, it probably extends or at some point you become a master of that particular space and you're looking for new challenges. Because, you know, I could have just said, okay, I'm going to just operate like crazy, which I still do, and just concentrate on that lane in my life and just kind of ride it off in the sunset, which would be a wonderful career. You know, the math doesn't work for me, if that makes sense. So I see 2,000 2, new patients a year, say about 15 more years of practice. That leaves my magnitude impact about 30,000 people. Mm -hmm. uh, my belief is, is if I pursue uh, my mission of trying to improve the way hearing loss is uh, treated through writing books, appearing like this, talking about it, being passionate about it, I can affect way more than 30,000 people. And that's really what I'm looking for is a way to make a bigger impact. And I suspect that's why you're doing what you're doing. We're not talking about that per se, but I suspect you probably have the same bug, right? Like, so I've mastered the hour or half hour session of training. And now I want to take it to the next level because I'm good at making this impact on a one-on-one -on -one basis. How do I amplify that? Yes, ab absolutely. And it it's funny because for, for a while there, I had multiple, multiple lanes. And so when COVID shut the gyms down last year, I, I, I pivoted into this. Like I started this the same week that the gyms were, were shut. Wow. And, um, I got got a comment that says "yo," <laughs> <Hi>. <laughs> but yeah. So I started this, and I joined a mastermind group because I was like, you know, well, what do I want to talk about? Because I don't want to just talk about fitness. Like, like there's a whole lot of pieces that go into wellness, right. as as you know. There's a whole lot of pieces that go into it, and I don't want to just speak about you know losing weight and gaining muscle. Like, there's just so much more to it than that. And there's enough people out there that speak about that as well. Yeah. Right. You know, so there's and, an overwhelming amount of information about. That. Yes. So in this mastermind, because, you know, all the big gurus tell you, you got to pick one lane. Right. You, know, you got to pick one lane. I'm like, but I, I talk to in, inner city youth. I talk to uh, women's groups. I talk to athletes. You know what I mean? It's like I, I talk to I, I talk to so many different groups. So it's like, how do I cut one out and just focus yeah, on just make one? Your lane bigger. Yeah, well, what I did was is I condensed it all. I condensed the five into one, and then that's how I came up with the shut, shut up and grind title. So because it can fit no matter what, like talking with you about hear, about hearing loss, you know, like there's there's work involved that people have, like you have to get off your butt, recognize you have a problem, and right. go get it fixed. Correct. You know, um, I have I have a question. I says, how do you know if your hearing is degrading? Well, uh, so the, the thing I tell people is, is, is um, unless you have really mean loved ones, what they tell you is true. Right. And so it's kind of an interesting thing like that. So I say, ah, oh, my, my spouse keeps on telling me I have a hearing. Oh, sorry, lost, lost his mic again real quick. why that's happening i apologize i've never had the problem before um yeah, yeah it just keeps saying to me that the mic that the mic isn't connected yeah i know but it, 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 it mm. nothing's it but uh, so um you know i would say you know if your loved ones are telling you, you have a hearing loss you probably do if you think you have a hearing loss you probably do if you're turning off the tv you probably have a uh, a an issue as well um those are all probably real and so, you know, I think it's the feedback. The, the fundamental problem with people realizing the degradation of their own hearing is you don't know what you're not hearing. And so, I'm sorry, somebody is persistent. Um, and so um, that that's the fundamental problem, right? And so 
people, if you're getting that feedback or you think they are, so the real answer is go get a test. There's objective measures of how to see if you do or don't have a hearing loss. And that's what I would say the first step of trying to figure that out. I think one of the other things is, is there are people who do have a mild hearing loss who are told, oh, it's not bad enough for you to treat it yet. And there's a lot of reasons why that is. Um, one of the things that's kind of been built into the hearing industry is, is people don't like it when people return their hearing aids. And so we have undertreated hearing loss that's mild because the people who are selling hearing aids are afraid that they're gonna get returned. And um, uh, that is a clinically significant hearing loss that will affect your brain. And so people have to be kind of dogged about um, treating it. You know, I always use the example, like, what is a little bit of high blood pressure? Well, there's no such thing, right? I mean, it's, it's high blood pressure and it needs to be brought to normal blood pressure. So. Yes. All right. So what I hear, hear a lot is people just chalk it up to aging. Well, uh, I mean, so so is... So is presbyopia, you know, the ability, you know, the need for reader's glasses, oh, um, like you know, it is, there is an aging point of view, but, you know, I, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do something about it, right? I mean, you know, uh, muscle loss is part of aging, right? But that doesn't mean you shouldn't exercise to try to maintain your muscle mass, right? There's a lot of things that, you know, we should continue to do to try to do it. You know, uh, normal cognitive Cognitive decline is perhaps you could say normal, but you should keep your brain active to try to not have it, right? And so to me, it's a quality of life issue. Even if it is a normal part, we would do it. You do a lot of stuff to improve yourself and keep your life uh, going well. So, yeah, like even in fitness, I hear it all, all the time. Like one of my clients now, she's got an issue in her elbow. She's had it for a while. And I right. keep telling I'm like, you know, you're a grown woman. You sign the waiver. If you want to keep coming, you can. I'm like, but you're going to hurt yourself worse. It's right. like, so she finally had an MRI and she has a tear in there, but she doesn't want, want to get the surgery. I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, why is being in pain for the rest of your life acceptable? Well, because fear, you know, I mean, I think it's just that, you know, people lead lives out of different motivations, right? I mean, I, I leave my life to try to change things and I leave it in a positive forward manner. There are some people mm -hmm. who live it to avoid pain or uncomfort. So fear is what motivates them and a fear-based life. I find it very, it, for me, I don't have it, but I find it very challenging in the people I know who do have it. It's, it's a tough way to live in it. It's a mindset. I, I, I don't totally understand it, but I see it. I know it's <laughs> out there. Yeah. Like I've had seven surgeries. And um, actually, just before I came on with you, my, my doctor called me because I had yet another MRI on my left knee. And he says, I have a partially torn meniscus and a partially torn MCL. Right. And so he's like, you know, we'll start with um, physical therapy because right. he knows that I, I, I won't hesitate. It's like the, the second I get something like I just turned 47, like I'm not living in pain if I don't have to. Right. Why would you? So, so like, that's my, my fear is living in pain. So like, if it can be fixed, like game on, let's, let's just get it fixed. Cause I'm far too active to just let things go. Well, it's also interesting people contextualizing effort or resources, right? So money's a resource, effort's a resource, right? Like, so yeah. they're willing, I mean that, I don't know about that client particular, but people are willing to expend a lot of effort on a lot of different things. Maybe, um, you know, and I'm not knocking any of this, maybe being impeccably dressed, or looking great or designing your house or doing all of these things. It's like, well, why are you willing to spend all that effort on that, but not your own health, for instance, yeah. right? Or money's another example, you know, treating your hearing loss is cheaper than going to Starbucks every day. And by the look of Starbucks, there are plenty of people going to Starbucks every day, or it's cheaper than actually most people's cable bill or cell phone bill. So, I mean, you know, people have to decide where they want to prioritize their resources. I mean, who doesn't want to stay connected? Who doesn't want to stay healthy? I mean, that to me, it's like, though, that's where you should be expending your resources. Sometimes I think it's because it's easy, but I also think because it's also the pattern that everybody else is doing. Yes. All right. So he, he put up an, another comment here. Uh, so hearing loss is very sad. I really wish that there was a cure, but sadly there isn't without using devices? Well, I mean, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, there are, you know, the two most common diseases in the world in the United States are high, high blood pressure and diabetes. There is no cure for either. There are treatments where we manage and mitigate the impact of those diseases. And so uh, I think the way, it, ideally there would be a cure, but on the flip side, there's not, not a treatment, right? And so 
the example is I use is, is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a disability or it's a lost ability, let's say. So if somebody sadly has lost their leg, um, let's say in a war or something like that, they really have two options, right? They could hop up and down on one foot or they could get an artificial leg in an ideal world, but it only exists in like Spider-Man movies or those types of things. You could regenerate a limb, but we don't really have that. So the best option we have is an artificial leg. And so if you saw somebody hopping up and down on one foot, you'd say, my gosh, why don't they get a prosthesis? This is crazy that they're hopping up and down on one foot. Mm-hmm. Well, to the same extent, just because people can't see your hearing loss, although frankly, they do see your hearing loss, they know you have it. Um, it's just like hopping up and down on one foot. So you're right. Ideally, we could cure it. But hearing technology that's well fit, that has a great prescription that that rehabilitates you well is a wonderful thing. And so it's the next best thing and people should do it just because we don't have a cure doesn't mean I do nothing. What are some of the biggest causes of hearing loss? Uh, so uh, the, the probably the two biggest causes, it depending on the demographics. So there is a large amount of hearing loss in the millennials. Um, that is personal listening devices being turned up too much. So one out of five people in their early 20s has a measurable hearing loss, which is actually pretty impressive. Wow. Um, so in that world, they should take five minutes off every hour and they should make sure that they don't put it up to more than 60% of its potential. And I guess the best rule, if somebody is three feet away from you and talking to you, you should be able to have that conversation with the devices on, as long as they're not like yours where they're totally occluding, right? So if the other sound can get through, you should be able to have a conversation. So that's in, in that age. The most common on the other side is um, hearing loss of aging. So by 80 years old, 80% of 80-year-olds will have a treatable hearing loss. Right. And so now... Describe treatment, like what what's the process in treating it? Yeah, so that that's actually kind of, you know, uh, as I talk to patients, I've kind of, so uh, I don't want to get too worried, but I, it's, I tell people there's six steps. So the first step is you need to have your hearing loss monitored. This is not a one-off thing. It's not you, you, one and done. So somebody should be committed to measuring and monitoring your hearing treatment. You need to have the hearing technology meet your lifestyle. So, you know, when you go to a car dealership and you're a family of five, the car dealer doesn't offer you a two seat convertible because it Mm -hmm. doesn't match your need. So the hearing technology needs to meet your need. If somebody's in an assisted living facility and their family comes to see them every two months, they don't need the same hearing technology as perhaps you would where you'd want your smartphone to stream to it and uh, you're in high level meetings all day. Um, it also needs to be appropriately physically fitted. Sometimes people get tiny little hearing aids that actually don't treat them the way they should. So the physical configuration matters. And we see a ton of patients that do not have appropriately physically configured hearing aids. So that's three. Next, it needs a custom prescription in it. So this is kind of the inside baseball of hearing care. The companies that make these devices have algorithms that you can punch your hearing test into that will generate a generic prescription for people's hearing. And that's what 85% of hearing aids have in them. That is for the generic ear canal of circumference, length, shape, and width. You need one for your ear canal. So the example I give is an eight inch pipe with water flowing down. It has different flow than a 12 inch pipe with the same amount of water and a four inch pipe. So if your ear canal is a pipe, The sound flows differently based on the size. So you need a custom prescription, not a generic prescription. The the other thing you need is you need a prescription that is designed to get you to hear as best as possible. And so the other thing this industry does is they know people return hearing aids because they're too loud in the high tones. So they clip off the high tones. They're more comfortable. You keep them, but you don't hear well. And then the last step is you need the hearing prescription validated. There are ways to measure in your ear that your prescription with your hearing technology treats your hearing loss. So if you got a custom suit, you try it on. You should validate in your ears. And so what I'm talking about is not what most people go through. So that's six step list. That's, that's solid. All right. So can you describe how do hearing aids work? Uh, on the simplest side, they have a microphone that uh, picks up the sound. They have a processor, a digital sound processor that tries to boost certain parts, filter out certain stuff. It's a, sometimes they have multiple microphones so they can tell where sounds coming from different directions. They have algorithms that try to figure out, are you in a 
in a uh, loud restaurant as compared to a silent restaurant and all of that. And so they process it through all these algorithms. And then essentially they have a speaker on the other side that's put in your ear. So it's a microphone processing speaker. That's kind of the uh, basic setup of a hearing aid. Okay. All right. And so with the six step process, okay, from a cost perspective, how much of that is picked up by, by insurance? How much of that would have to come out of pocket? Or, or that's, does that depend on the insurance company? It, it very much depends. So the real question people ask is, is the why doesn't Medicare cover hearing aids? Because currently Medicare does not. And so Medicare was adopted in 1965. And when Medicare was adopted in 1965, hearing aids were sold by door-to-door salespeople. The same people are sold encyclopedias, fuller brushes, and Rapogo gloves. The people would knock on your door and give you a sales pitch in your living room. And so at that time, when the statute was adopted, they said, Medicare shall not pay for hearing aids. That prohibition in that statute has yet to be reversed. So Medicare does not pay for hearing aids. And so the the real mindset people have to start thinking about is, is how much does it cost? What costs the most to build a house? Is it the sticks and mortar or is it the labor? It's the labor, right? And so for most things, it's the labor. That's why I say, if you want to get hearing aids, get the physical objects. If you want to get your hearing loss well-treated, you know, I mean, look, I can get an app that can tell me how to work out, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but, but that's nothing like what you do, right? And exactly. so if people like say, well, I'll just do the cheap, I mean, you you get what you pay for, right? Yes. And so if people, now the problem is there are people who pay for it and don't get what they pay for. And so that's another issue why I try to give people guidelines because there are people who charge a lot and don't do a lot. And so you want so you you want to certainly get value. And I think that's one of the reasons people don't want to treat their hearing loss because like, oh, I get all these mailers. I don't know. I don't know where to go. It's too much. Well, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you have to do due diligence to figure out where you should go. I mean, that word of mouth, people, reputation, professional credentials. I mean, all that we all have to figure out on it. I mean, look, you need your toilet fix. You got to find a plumber who's reputable and going to do good work. I mean, that's just kind of life is figuring out who can do what you need. Yes. All right, so are there different types of hearing loss, like a hierarchy? There are. So uh, there can be hearing loss that can be caused by your ear canal. There can be hearing loss caused by um, your eardrum, your ear bones, by your inner ear, by the nerve between your ear and brain. So these are all different things. And so part of the diagnostic evaluation is kind of figuring those things out. So when you have a problem with your ear bones and eardrum, that's actually something I can oftentimes improve surgically rather than through technology. Um, so it, and then there's grades of degradation of that. So, you know, fitting the right treatment to the right type of hearing loss is kind of the art, right? It's like, you know, if I had a, a like you talked about your client, if I had an elbow injury, I, I certainly wouldn't expect you to have me doing deadlifts and doing bench presses. Right. And so that's fitting the exercise to the need of the client. And so it's the same concept where you're fitting the treatment to the need of the patient. It's the same. I mean, this is a repetitive thing that people know. It's just, I'm putting it in a medical context. Yes. All right. So when you do your ear surgeries, what types of things are you fixing? Uh, I repair eardrums. I resolve ear infections. I replace ear bones. Um, I can put in uh, electrical-based hearing devices. I can remove tumors. It's uh, it's actually fascinating stuff. So the thing I would say about most of the things I do, these are not things where you, if you had it, you went to a cocktail party and said, I had X done. There's probably nobody else in that cocktail party who say, oh, yeah, I had that too, yeah. except for maybe tubes. Other than that, the stuff I do is, uh, you know, relatively uncommon. And actually... One of the things is as the ENT, mostly my ENT colleagues do things like tubes, and then I get sent the more complex ones. Okay. So what's what's the biggest cause of a damaged eardrum? Uh, infection. Oh, okay. Sorry, got another comment. A long time. Does certain types of food affect your hearing? Um, typically, um, not not directly. If you have an allergy, it can, but uh, not directly. Um, like you stuff, stuff an asparagus in your ear? Well, that, that's one thing. I mean, look, you know, the, the ear exists in your body, right? And so what you put in your body affects your whole body. And so as much as, you know, if you have atherosclerosis hardening in the arteries, that's going to affect your ears as well as it affects your heart, right? If you have too much salt and that leads to high blood pressure, that's going to affect your ears. So I would say there's nothing that directly affects your ears. There's the milieu or the body that it lives in. And so the things you consume affect your body, they affect your ears. 
So what's the best way to remove earwax? Let it come out on its own. So I always tell people um, uh, Q-tips are the tools of the devil. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look on the back of a Q-tip box, it says don't stick in your ear. And it actually doesn't make sense, right? Because if you had a pipe with stuff on it, you jammed a mop down that pipe, it wouldn't clean anything out and neither do Q-tips. They make them bright white. So they come out discolored and you think your ears are discolored. I see a lot of problems from Q-tips. The wax will come out on its own if you let it, honestly. Um, and uh, as another comment, ear candling doesn't work. And so I know there are people who do that. It does not work. What's that? Ear candling where people put candles in their ear to try to draw out the wax. That's a thing? Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually never heard that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. You're kindling. Sorry. Right, so you had mentioned earlier about, about books. Have you written one? I have. I wrote a book called, uh, it's called Listen Up, A Physician's Guide to Effectively Treating Your Hearing Loss. And essentially, it's my take on this problem, why it matters, why it's not uh, treated well, and how to go about that. And uh, so, you know, it, it's like anything else. I think one of the reasons sometimes people write a book is, you know, I was in the middle of talking to a patient and they looked at me and said, you know, you really should write a book and write this all down so other people can read it. And I was like, okay, um, you know, I, I, you've written a book, I think, right? Isn't I, I'm, in, I'm in the process. I'm halfway. Well, well what you know is, is, as well as I do, is telling somebody to write a book or deciding you write a book is a lot less work than writing a book. Um, so <laughs> it's a lot of work, but uh, it, it's a great, you know, I'm really proud of the work and I think people could get a lot out of it. They can get it on Amazon. They can also go to the website, listenuphearing.com uh, and it's available there as well. All right. So we have a thank you message. I just took, took it away. Hold on. Let it go. Here it is. Uh, yeah. He said, sorry, if he's asking a lot of questions. He's really curious and open to learn. Questions are welcome. Fire away. That's why yeah, I bring yeah. on the expert, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, and I think, you know, uh, I, I, I admire curiosity. It's, it's kind of the way I've lived my life as well. So I, I think questions are great. I mean, and, and so what it speaks to is, is this is a poorly understood entity. Uh, people don't really get it. And I think it's, you know, coming from the place where people just think it's an annoyance or as you said, uh, part of a, um, a process of, um, uh, aging to something that's highly can be remediated. You can, you don't yes. have to accept it. Um, and so, uh, and that's one of the beauties of technology, right? I mean, you know, uh, the way things are changing so fast, there's a lot, I mean, look at, you know, how quickly a vaccine has been developed for COVID, for instance. I mean, things are amazing how fast things can change and technology is that way too. Yeah. And you said, the key sentence is you don't have to accept it. It's like people that watch this show on the regular know part of my story is, is I had a bad knee injury in 2009 and was told I'd never run a jump again. Wow. I, was, I was like, well, that's your opinion. I'm sure there's 7 billion people on this planet. There's, there's got to be one person that can fix my knee. Right. <laughs> you know, well, so. well, right. Yeah. No. And, and, and yeah, don't accept your, your, where you are. I mean, and, and so the thing is, is I, I say to people, you know, go from avoiding the party to becoming the life of the party. Right. I mean, yes. people want to be social, go back to being connected and treating your hearing losses is that, you know, people don't want to talk to you if it's too much work. That, 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 that's the reality. If that's people true. have to repeat themselves, they will not engage with you. It's, it's, and so the people who only end up engaging with you at the end are your very close loved ones. And even they're frustrated, but they do it because they love you. Everybody else, they're like, sorry, I, I, I'm going to talk to people that it's easier to talk to. Yes. See, and with, with me, when it comes to decision making, it's, it's problem solutions. Like, I don't like to hang out in the middle. You know, right. That's the way the stress, the anxiety and all the uncertainty and all that stuff. It all lives in the middle. So it's like, all right, like when I had my shoulder surgery, the doctor's like, you know, we really don't have to do it. He's like, you just won't be able to, to lift beyond this. I was like, then no. <laughs> it's like, I was like, I want the surgery. It's like, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with that. At the time, I was like 41, I think. It's like, I was 41 years old. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not living with that the rest of my life, as active as I am. You know, it's like, I still play, I still play sports. You know, I, I play softball, I play volleyball, I hike. I run track and field and then I do obstacle races. It's like that, right. that does not work for me. Sure. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, I, I think when you're talking about in that middle, I mean, philosophically, no decision is a decision. People don't like to hear yes. that, but no decision is actually um, deciding to do nothing is deciding. And so I, I, you got to move forward. I, I, I believe in moving forward. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, and I hear that a lot in the fitness world. Like when when COVID first happened and we switched over to to virtual classes, and then had this one woman that she she didn't really like the virtual classes, and she ended up putting on like eighteen pounds. I want to say so when she came back. I was like, you know, classes were available, you know, because she was just blaming COVID and this, and this is why I gained weight. I said, no, the classes were available four, four times a day. She said, God, the virtual classes just don't don't work for me. I was like, but gaining eighteen pounds does. No, I mean the real answer is inactivity and overeating is the answer. She just yes. like that answer, um, unfortunately, and that and that's the sometimes the toughness of it too. Like, you know, I'm not you're you're the person who asked the question. Yeah, I'd love there to be a cure for hearing loss. There's not. And so if there was, we'd be offering it. But right now, this is the best we have. And that doesn't mean you should do nothing. It's kind of what yeah. you're saying. Well, virtual classes aren't perfect, but that doesn't mean you should stop working out and gain 18 pounds. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So that's the thing. Like if, if I got to the point to where, where I couldn't hear, I'd be looking for options, <laughs> you know? So like, but I've, I've never been one to just accept what is. Like I grew up with a father who didn't accept what is, you know, like whatever he, he wanted, he found a way to get it and he instilled that in us. So like with, with my, my knee, if, if we, we decide that physical therapy isn't working, then I'm going to have surgery number eight. I was like, cause I want to do the things I want to do. My mom says to me, you know, you keep doing all this, this stuff, you know, you're going to end up in a wheelchair. I said, and you know what they have for people in a wheelchair? Olympics. <laughs> so like that's just that's just how my mind works. All right, all right. <laughs> You're not gonna stop me even with that, right? No, it's like I'll be a competitive chess player if I have to. <laughs> I was like, but I'm an athlete. I'm I'm a competitor. It's like that's just what I what I do. That's great. So, yep. So I don't I don't do it. All right. Back again. If you can't hear a word or two, like the volume around you gets a little lower, even when you're close to someone, do you have hearing loss? Also, yes. do mental disorders affect hearing loss? Uh, yes and yes. Uh, so, I mean, one of the things is, is hearing is not just the ear, right? It's the brain's interpretation of that sound. And so uh, mental disorders, not necessarily, but, you know, fatigue, right? So if you're tired, um, stress, anxiety, all those things affect your ability to communicate through hearing. And uh, likely if you're not hearing words, then you, you know, you actually know you have a hearing loss because you're not hearing well. And so the real issue is, is you have to go measure it. Um, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's it's much more uh, obvious to people than, for instance, high blood pressure. I mean, there are people walking around with high blood pressure have absolutely no idea they have high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. But hearing loss, somebody's giving you the feedback. Either the world's giving you the feedback because you're not understanding things or your loved ones are. And I always say, you know, your loved ones are the ones who are, you know, we love them because they tell us the truth. They drive us crazy because they tell us the truth. Yes. But, but that's really, you know, those are the ones, I mean... You know, the person who's willing to tell you your zipper's down is somebody who actually likes you, right? Because it's yes. kind of an embarrassing thing. But that, that's my concept. Like if somebody invests the energy to tell you, I mean, you have to reciprocate that to some extent that they're actually willing to invest in you to say like, hey, because the other answer is like, okay, have go have hearing loss. I'll go interact with other people who are much more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, like my clients tell, tell me, well, they tell new people coming in <laughs> to like, be careful when you ask Rob a question, <laughs> like, because he's going to give it to you right between the eyes. <laughs> you know? so, yeah, like I had this one woman, she was trying to, to do the uh, the climbing rope. Right. And she gets on and she, she, she's like, Robert, it's been two years. Why can't I get up, get up this rope yet? I'm like, because you're inconsistent. And it, it's like that truth bomb just hit her. She's like, you're right. You're right. She's like, you're always right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not that I'm always right, but just. I tell people what they need to hear, not what they right. want to hear. Well, your value is being a straight shooter, right? Not not, yes. not, not, telling them what they want to hear. I'm yes. sure there are plenty of people in the fitness world who have a great client list of those people who they tell them what they want to hear, but that's not really going to get your results. Yeah, I had a woman, she, she did personal training with me, and she told me that she had a trainer for two years prior. Two years. I had to teach her how to squat, had to teach her how to lunge, had to teach her how to do push-ups, she had no no endurance. She had no, like this this guy was robbing you, <laughs> you know. Those are basic things that you you should know if you've had a trainer for two years, right? You know, and so th that just I just share that to go back to what you said in the beginning about people are getting treated poorly for their, yeah, their hearing yeah. loss, right? And then and but as you know, there are some people in the fitness industry who want a friend, right? They pay a trainer to have somebody to hang out with. Yeah, 
I have I have some of those in my in my circle. They just want to show up for the social aspect. I'm like, if you want to pay me to have friends, okay, right. <laughs> you know. All right, so give give us a final word. Uh, you know, I think hearing loss matters, and uh, pursue your passion. Uh, if I were to tell anybody, do what you love. You know, don't make a living. Do something that's a passion. Get a get a get a get an it's not an occupation you know get get something that is is something you love absolutely all right well that's our time thank you very much for taking your, for your time me. and i learned a ton today because i knew nothing about the subject <laughs> so absolutely nothing so i appreciate it thank you to the official ts clan for firing out all those questions you know that's much appreciated as well are, are your so, social channels on your website as well yeah yeah Okay. All right. So if you guys want to reach out to Dr. Mark, listenuphearing.com. If you're listening on the audio, again, that's listenuphearing.com, just the way it sounds. And you have yourself a great day. You too. You do as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So if you're tuning in late, make sure you go back and listen to the rest of the episode. As he said, only 20% of people actually get the hearing loss addressed 20 percent. so there's 80 percent of people out there that can't hear shit <laughs> right that's a problem that's a problem when it can be addressed so again that's listenuphearing.com and that's all i have for you for today i'll be back on i believe monday i know i haven't been street streaming on mondays but i had to do a schedule change so i'm pretty sure i'm back on monday so you guys have a great day Thank you.